Well, we had a wonderful time two weeks ago with Charles Caron. He's a man who I'm sure is 84 by today because he said he had a birthday in a couple weeks. And wasn't he amazed? Pardon me? Oh, the kids. I'm sorry. Bless those kids. You're all dismissed. Amazing guy he was. And I'll tell you, it's just uh, incredible the power of God that was working through him. And, you know, the power of God is available for all people that are in the kingdom of God. To move through you. Did you know that? Did you realize that? God wants to use you in great power. Not to show off, not to be a display, but to bring freedom to people's lives. To bring the kingdom of God into people's lives. Anybody here? Yeah. All right. Getting nervous. I thought it looks like empty chairs out there. Nobody's listening. But he wants to bring the kingdom of God in your life. So let's look at the kingdom. Matthew 6.33 will be our scripture. And the title of this will be, Seek ye first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God, or seek ye first, if you use the old King James. 6.33. And this is in the portion of the scripture called the Beatitudes. And Jesus says to the disciples, I'm going to back up a little bit. Verse 31, do not be anxious then, do not be anxious then, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? In other words, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Oh my, what happens if I get laid off? Oh my, what happens if, what happens if I don't have the money? What happens, what happens, what happens? He's saying, don't be anxious about those things. Now certainly we have to be wise and plan for those things. He's not saying to be to be irresponsible, but he's bringing something, an important truth to us here. Don't be anxious, don't be fearful and fretting. For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Let's stop for a moment. Did you hear that? First of all, he's saying don't be anxious, don't be fearful. Then he goes on to say, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Can we say that together? For, let's say, our, for our heavenly Father. For our heavenly Father knows that we need all these things. So he knows it, doesn't he? So why are we all upset about things? Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And I think it was Will Rogers, the old humorist, that once said, don't borrow trouble from tomorrow. I think he was paraphrasing the words of Jesus, wasn't he? Don't borrow trouble from tomorrow. So this morning, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. And Charles mentioned to us when he was here that the word church was mentioned three times in the scripture. But how many times was the kingdom of God mentioned? This is a quiz. How many? 33? Oh, way over 100, yeah. Any, anybody remember? How many times is the kingdom of God mentioned in the scriptures? Thirty-three. 
No, it was 100, I think it was 160 some. I don't know. I'm asking you. <laughs> I don't know everything. <laughs> it was over 100, well over 100 times. So, you know what? That's a good assignment for somebody. Who would like that assignment to count that up? You will? Okay, Renee's going to find out for us. I actually have it written in my Bible and I couldn't find it somewhere. So Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God. Let's take a look at a few scriptures about the kingdom of God because a lot of us are confused. What is the kingdom of God? What do you mean the kingdom of God? Well, let's take a look at a few scriptures. Let's look at 12. Oh, let's see. Let's look at Luke. Let's look at Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Let's look at Luke 12. 12.31. All right. 12.31. But seek for, this is Jesus speaking again, but seek for his kingdom, and these things shall be added to you, similar to Matthew. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Wow, what do you mean? Do you ever ponder about that? If you read that scripture, do you ever wonder what that means? Jesus said, but your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Well, that's fine, but what's the kingdom? He's going to give us something. Wouldn't you like to know what it's all about? A little bit about it? All right. Well, Jesus goes on in John. I should say the gospel writers go on and quote Jesus in John. In John chapter 3, there was a man, a, a man, a religious leader, a Pharisee, who came to, to Jesus. He was a ruler of the Jews. His name was uh, Nicodemus. Can you imagine neighborhood kids coming over to play when he was little? Nicodemus, can you come out and play? What a name. But this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, this is John chapter 3, verse 1, This man came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these things, these signs that you do, unless God is with him. Let's stop right there. Can you hold on with this thought? What are these things that Jesus was doing? The things that, Jesus was doing, the things that Jesus was doing at that time, and still is today because he never changes, is he was healing the sick. He was cleansing people that had leprosy. He was raising people from the dead. In fact, so many people came, they couldn't even count it. They called it multitudes came. In fact, when Jesus, when he fed the people with the five loaves and then the seven loaves, I think it was, or 12 loaves, and the few fishes, remember that? They counted up, and they could tell them there was 5,000 fed, and I think it was 7,000 that was fed the next time. Was it? Do I have my numbers right? Maybe I don't have it quite right. But there was 5,000, and there was another great, huge peep. And then he said, don't you remember? I think there was five loaves of bread left, and there was 12 loaves left another time. So they counted up. They knew. They could count to 3,000 in those days. They could count far beyond that. And they could count all these people up. But when Jesus was healing, the multitudes coming to him, there were so many they couldn't count. 
It was beyond what they could count. They couldn't count the masses. And the scripture says over and over that he healed them all. Isn't that incredible? So Nicodemus, this, this leader, this ruler of the Jews, comes to him and says, you must be of God. Because no one can do these things, these, make these signs. Signs is an important thing to use here. Because all these things point to the fact that God is a supernatural God and he loves and cares about us. That these signs you do unless God is with him. And Jesus doesn't even address, he doesn't even answer his question. He goes, he goes on here to make a statement in verse 3. He says, said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't see it. You and I can't see it if we're not born again. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, I have to take that back. Jesus didn't answer. Jesus responded by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So first he says you can't see it, and now he says you cannot, even, you cannot enter it. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus is saying to us, it's more about the kingdom here. First of all, if you're not born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be born again? See, we're all born into the natural, obviously. We've come from a woman. We've come from our mother. And in that process, we've been born into what's called, as Jesus said, the flesh. It's of the flesh. We're born into the flesh. We have flesh nature. When we speak about the flesh, we're not just talking about the fact that we have flesh and blood and bones. This is what our earth suit, our body is made up. But he's talking about the fact that we have a nature that's dictated by the demands of our bodies. Do I need to explain that a little bit more? It's the immoral acts that we do. It's, the, it's allowing our minds to fantasize about lewd things. It's about pornography. It's about adultery. It's about, it's about me first. It's about I'm going to be in charge. I'm in control. I, 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 I is what the flesh is really about. The dictates and demands of our bodies or of, of the needs that we have socially. That's the flesh. But Jesus said you can't be, come into the kingdom of God if you're going to be a flesh person. We start by coming to him, and we must have him. First of all, we must, we must recognize the fact that we need him, that we can't be saved. We can't enter into heaven unless we're born again. Now, some of you know this. This is obvious, but some of you, this is very, very new to you. But you must be born again. What does that mean to be born again? This isn't really what I was planning on speaking about. I wasn't planning on this little side note here. But to be born again means that our life 
is a life of flesh, has been. Whatever our flesh dictates, whatever society says feels good, do it. That's the flesh. Feels good, do it. But Jesus is saying, you can't enter the kingdom of God if you're living like that. You're of the fallen nature of Adam, our forefather. When he sinned, man, sin entered the world, and men have been sinning ever since. Because we have the nature to sin. But Jesus said, you must live a holy life. No one can come to the Father unless he lives a holy life. I can't live a holy life. I've tried on my own to live a holy life. How do you live a holy life when you have a conflict within you of sin? That's what Paul writes about. The apostle writes about in Romans, isn't it? 6, 7, 8. He's got a conflict of this old sin nature that wants to keep doing my things my way when I want to do it. On and on. How do I live a life of holiness? The only way I can live a life of holiness is to look for a Savior. Now, in the past, because, let me just back up. When we sin, and we're sinners by nature, our old nature was a sinful nature, Sin brings about death, doesn't it? The Bible says that sin brings about death, but it also brings pain. Sin brings about pain in our life. People that are sinful bring pain into our life. We become hurt. And then hurting people hurt other people, don't we? When you hurt, you go try to take care of a dog that's been hurt. And he's likely to bite you because he's hurting. He normally wouldn't bite you, but he would bite you because of the pain. And so what do we do with pain? The flesh man that I am. How do I deal with pain? How do you deal with pain? How do you deal with it in the past, Paul? Ibuprofen and alcohol. Mm -hmm. How did some of you deal with pain? Take it out on other people. Pardon? You used to pray all the time for other people? Did it? That hurts you. Before you became a Christian. No, I'm talking about prior to. Prior to. Now you pray. Good for you, Carmen. But we try to... Pain needs pleasure. If you're in pain, you've got to have some pleasure. Right? So you look for it. As all the old country western songs say, in all the wrong places, right? And you wonder why I'm dressed in black. <laughs> and never wear bright colors on my back. <laughs> no, I'm not exactly Preacher Cash, but... I kind of appreciated his music as I got older. I like Johnny Cash, yeah. Wonder why. Anyways, so it happened to Johnny Cash. You know, Johnny Cash, you know the story? I'll just take a little side trip here. Johnny Cash went to Sun Records, a guy named Sam Phillips. No, was it Sam Phillips? I think it was. In Memphis, and he wanted to cut a rock and roll album. He wanted to cut an album. It was a gospel album. And Elvis Presley was hanging around there, and, uh, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis and all these guys. And, and, and uh, Mr. Phillips said, took him aside and said, Son, 
go back and write me some rock and roll. He says, then I'll make some records for you. But Johnny Cash had a heart for the Lord in the early days of that, and he got caught like Elvis did too. Elvis was a Christian, you know that? He loved the Lord. Elvis Presley, the reason he, did, he sang was because he, he felt he never could preach, but he could sing, and he wanted to sing to the Lord, sing unto the Lord. In fact, I'm, going, I'm way off here, but that's all right. Just a couple stories for fun. But Elvis, Elvis, when he'd do concerts, he'd call these different people he knew, gospel singers around the areas that he was in, the towns. He knew these people. And they would talk, and they would come, they would come over to his uh, hotel room, and they would sing gospel songs way into the night. See, Elvis Presley loved the Lord, but he was trapped. He had a hook in him, and he couldn't get rid of that hook. God doesn't want us to be hooked. He's come to set us free. He's come to set us free. Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ has come to set us free. Okay, so back to being born again. The need for being born again is that we, first of all, have this need for right? the the... To be born again, we first of all have to recognize a need. If you like what you're doing, keep on doing it, but you'll be ending up in hell someday. That's what that's the scripture says. Jesus said, if your right eye offend you, pluck it out. Not literally. If your right hand offend you, cut it off. It's better to go into, he- into, he- into heaven maimed than it is to he- into hell. Right? Full bodied. So if you're going on through life and just living for the flesh, you're going to reap the consequences of the flesh. And that gets pretty old. You see it on people's faces as they get older. And you just see the stress and strain of all the gravel roads they run on. But we have to recognize, if we will come to a place where we recognize, I need to change. I want help, Lord. And we come to Jesus Christ. He's called the Savior for a reason. If I was thrown outside of a ship in rough seas, I would be hollering, send me, throw me a life ring, throw me a, throw me a life jacket, help, save, right? And Jesus is the same. If I'm in the rough seas of life and I have no hope, and I'm just living my life in a cycle, then I need to ask for a lifeline. And Jesus is the lifeline. But he's more than a lifeline. He's a savior in the sense that he not only can bring us back on board, but he's a, he's a savior that can change our hearts. And that's what it means to be born again, is that our heart is changed. You see, when we come to Jesus, as I did back in 1978, I recognized my life was going in some wrong directions and wrong fast. I, I started drinking. I wasn't a drinker. I drank a lot when I was 15 and got wild with the kids, you know, and crazy stuff that you do and chug down all this whiskey and stuff, go nuts. But I kind of quit that. But I, I had a job that was real stressful, and people on my job used to give us for Christmas, they'd give us a, a quart, a fifth of whiskey or some kind of vodka or, you know, some kind of hard alcohol, hard liquor. And I'd go home, and I'd have a little vodka just to kind of, because it was there, and just to kind of settle me down, relax a little bit. And after a while, it was two. And uh, it was starting to kind of get real pleasurable, you know, to be able to come home and unwind that. Anybody relate to that? 
may not be alcohol, it might have been drugs, it can be anything, it can be sex, you know, chasing women, it can be gambling, it can be anything. Because hurting people need pleasure. And so, thank God by his grace, he started to get a hold of me at that time. And when I came to him, I realized I got to dump this stuff out. I took all our old albums. We had albums, you know, record albums in those days. And we, I went through them and we threw a whole bunch of those albums out. And we took the booze and I poured it down the kitchen sink. We had one of the cleanest kitchen traps probably of any house in the whole area. I'm sure we had no problems with our drain for a long time. They poured it all down. But the kingdom of God came into my life. And he began to change me from the inside out. See, that's called the new birth. That's what Jesus is speaking about when he talks about being born again. He's born again. I'm new from the inside out. Oh, I still make mistakes. I still have to deal with my emotions. I still have to make, I still made some wrong decisions. But in that whole process, I began to change. Something began to grow with inside of me. And it's called the kingdom of God. And he grows within us. And not just the kingdom of God, I say. I should back up. It was the spirit of the Holy Spirit. It was Christ in me. Because Jesus says, I will come into you. I will come into you. In Revelations, I will come into your heart, into your life, into your world. And now I am in charge. And not only will I be your Savior that saved you from your past and for eternity, but I'm now, what? I'm now your Lord. Which is a hard, comp- it's hard for Americans to comprehend a lordship. Because we threw off, we threw off the reign of, of King George, Remember? 240 years ago. It was called the Revolution. Anybody remember that? We threw off his oppression. And even in our Constitution, we're not allowed to call people by royal titles anymore. Hmm. Yeah. So it's really difficult for us to understand what really lordship is. If you go into the Eastern world, like Charlie's been in the East and Asia, they have a good comprehension of, of, of how this stacks up. But we have a difficult time because we're so independent. But our independence is a good thing in some ways. It's a bad thing in other ways. And so all of us must be like a little child, Jesus said. We must be like a little child to come to the Lord. We have to say, here I am at your mercy. Here I am at your mercy. Do something with me. Anybody been there? Was it the, are you sad, you sorry that you ever did that? Would you ever go back to your old life? No, no way, no way. Some of you have been some pretty hard livers here, and I know that you wouldn't go back, right? So the kingdom of God is what we want to establish. And I really want to talk about the importance of the power of the kingdom of God this morning. But I'm going to, we're running out of time, I'm going to talk about a few things along this line, this, this, this uh, line that I've been going in. But this kingdom of God, as Jesus said, you must be born again. That is, I will save you from your sinful nature. And part of that goes, uh, goes along with the uh, baptism. We're having a baptism next Sunday. And anyone that hasn't been baptized, if you made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, then you're welcome to participate in being baptized. Isn't that wonderful? So we're looking forward to that. So contact me during the week or sometime quickly 
so that we can make arrangements and help you out understand this. But baptism, what baptism is, it's the identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6 talks about how if we're baptized, we identify with those things. You see, when God provided the sacrificial lamb on the cross, Jesus Christ, he took on himself the sins of the world, the pain, the heartache, the grief, all the horrible things that have happened to mankind, he took it upon himself. And I know some people say, well, how, how can God relate? You know, how can God relate to man? How can he, be, how can he allow these, these evil things to go on and all the pain and suffering and heartache? And I've had my questions too. How can God allow this day after day, century after century after century? How can he allow that? Well, the one answer is we're not suffering alone. In fact... God, in his high heavens, came down to earth and was born of a woman and became a man. He grew up in the neighborhood and he became a man, a man of sorrows, says the scripture, said, a man of grief, that he could bear the life and relate to you and I. Because it says, I believe in Corinthians, that there was not any temptation known to man that Christ was not tempted with. Whatever your temptations are, whatever those secret things are that's going on, that you're tempted, and sometimes you succumb to, whatever they are, Christ was tempted with the same things. And I would assume a whole lot more than we as individuals. And he sinned not. He sinned not. And so we have a Savior who can relate to us, to the pains of the world, to the heartache, to the hardships. He can relate. He's not a God that's afar off. He's a God that dwells among his people. Isn't that good news? It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God. So baptism, when we become baptized in him, we are saying, not only do I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is my Savior and my Lord, but I'm relating to him through baptism because God does not require me to have to be nailed to that cross or you nailed to this cross. He doesn't require that. He does require that we be baptized because the baptism is a symbolic, it's, it's a symbolic action as if we were crucified, as if we were buried, as if we were resurrected as Christ was. Romans chapter 6, I won't have time to go into that in depth, but that's the power of baptism. And then it's the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And we need the infilling of the Holy Spirit, don't we? And Jesus spoke to his disciples over and over. He said, wait here in Jerusalem. Until the power of my Father, the promise of my Father comes upon you. And they waited in Jerusalem, as Michelle's been teaching on Wednesday night. They waited in Jerusalem for, I forgot how many days. Was that 50 days? 50 days. Pentecost means 50. So they waited for 50 days. And the power of God came upon them and shook them to pieces. Not only shook them to pieces, it shook the world. 
back into place. In fact, these few people, a handful of people, 120 people, about what we have here today, were in that upper room waiting for the power of God to come. And when that power of God came, these people who were hiding, basically, from the Jews, because they saw what happened to Jesus, and they figured, ah, we're probably next. They were in that upper room waiting on the Lord when the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them. What did they do when that power came? Did they all have a nice little church meeting? No, they went outside on the streets, right out in front of the people, because a boldness came in their life. A power of boldness came into their life. It was a holy power of boldness. And the power of love. I believe they were baptized with not only with the Holy Spirit and with the baptism of fire, but they were baptized with love. And it's hard to kill love. It's hard to kill love. You can't kill love. And they went out in the streets and out of love they began to preach this Jesus whom you just crucified. They said, these guys are drunk. They said, no, we're not drunk as you suppose. It's too early in the morning for us to be drunk. We have been filled with the Holy Spirit. God wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I know a lot of people want to be filled with the Holy Spirit so they can do incredible signs and wonders and miracles. But to be filled with the Holy Spirit also means that you're filled with holiness. And your life is being transformed from the old life to the new life in Christ. Is anybody getting this? That's what I want to encourage us with, to know that God, God desires to fill you up with the holiness of God. And with the power of God, the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Why? So you and I can be about change in the world, person by person. I know, I, we went through, I, I was, came to Christ in 78, so I've seen all these phases. You know, that's the nice thing about getting older. There's some things that, that are a little more challenging, you know. You have to use reading glasses and stuff like that. Your hair falls out, right, Quentin? And, things like that, but uh, but you, you have the vantage point of seeing things. You, you hopefully become wiser. You have more understanding, hopefully. It doesn't happen to all of us, but, but you can see how things have gone. And I've seen in the church, one of the things I've seen in the church, the charismatic renewal started back in the 60s, and it just transformed the... Parts of the Catholic Church, the Episcopal Anglican Church, you know, I'm talking about speaking in tongues and all that stuff was happening. And here in Alpena, St. Bernard's, it was happening. There was some wonderful people filled. Remember, folks, you probably remember all those different wonderful times. But then the church went into, the, the church in general went into the conference season. You remember that? I do. It was conferences and conferences and conferences. And it became like a conference mentality in the church. And we began to sing about saving the nations and changing the nations and discipling the nations. And that was all good stuff, but there was something left out. The importance of personally sharing your faith with others. See, what happens is it swung off to some place where we're not going to mess around with individuals sharing the gospel with him. We're just going to save the nations, and we're going to go big time into discipleship. 
Well, there's a problem with that. There's no example of that. The nations are saved when the gospels preach and the individual heart is changed. That's how the nations are changed. That's how my life was changed. That's how your life was changed. So all, a lot of this stuff is this grandiose. And without the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life and mine and focusing us on what's important to Jesus, we're missing the mark. Some of you have lost your passion for the lost. If you went through the conference season, I can understand why. I lost my passion for the lost. I have a passion to teach and help the church to equip you. That's what Ephesians 4.11 says, that apostles, pastors, pa- apostles, prophets, ev- uh, pastors, teachers, evangelists are supposed to do, is equip the church. But I lost my passion for the lost, for those people that are still out there suffering like I was. I've lost my passion, and several years ago I began to say, God, I have lost my passion for the lost. I, ha- I don't have any passion for that. Oh, I want to see them come to Christ. I just don't have a passion for it. Anybody relate to that? Conferences will do that to you. I began to pray, forgive me, Lord. Put your heart in my heart for the lost. Because when we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, sure, it really excites us in the church. What Charles did when he was here, what God did through Charles... I mean, it's just, it's just, I've just seen people come alive. It's wonderful. But it's also to bring, it's to encourage us, to edify us, to bring a passion, a new passion in our life to see the lost come to him. So if you don't have that passion for the lost, then I am going to challenge you to begin to pray that prayer. To go before God and say, God, I don't have that passion anymore. Or I never did have that passion. Whatever the case, you begin to pray. Say, give me your heart for the lost. And you know what? You know what? That's a prayer he will answer in a heartbeat. That's a prayer. I don't have a passion that my kids are serving you, Lord. I'm just going through day by day, like Paige was saying, fighting the battles with the kids. You know how it is, parents. They can be the enemy after a while, and... It's the battle of who conquers who, you know. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's kind of. I can kid, cause my, kid about it because my kids are raised now. So, But that passion is a passion for the kingdom. It's not just the church. The church is part of the kingdom. The kingdom is bigger than the church. The church is a part. And a lot of people say, well, I don't need to go to church anymore. That's not what Hebrews says. It says, do not forsake the assembling of yourself. Because when we are together, we grow. We, we, we encourage one another, don't we? We challenge one another. We rebuke one another sometimes. You know what? That's just not right. There's a growing process. And it grates our old flesh nature. Doesn't it? But that's why we have to die to self. Guys that have been through the winning at home and at work with the men's fraternity, that's kind of your, your, lo- your slogan there, your motto, learning to die to self. And that's what Jesus is talking about in, in the, when he says you must 
If a man wants to come to me, he must die to himself. He must die. Paul the Apostle said, I die daily. There's a death process. Die to die? No. Die to live. That Christ may live that much more in us. I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about a, a death to our old sinful nature must die daily. All right. We're going to have to close here in just a moment. And if you would like to know more about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I strongly encourage you to come Wednesday night at 6.30. And we've got a, quite a crowd, and Michelle's been doing a great job, and we're going to tag team on and so on. But I'd like to read something to us that I hope will encourage you when we talk about this, this purpose that we have of sharing the gospel. And this is the Apostle Paul, and he's giving an account of himself to the king. This is in Acts 26. Was it Agrippa? I may have been King Agrippa. I think it may have been him. Verse 14. Rob, back up again. There's just so much good stuff. Verse 12. He begins to explain to the king that he was one of the greatest persecutors of the church. It was called the way in those days. He was a great persecutor. And Paul, of course, was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was not just some little peon guy. He was, he was a man of great influence or becoming a man of great influence. In verse 11, he says, And as I punished them often, that is, the Christians, I went into all the synagogues. I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to the foreign cities. This was the Apostle Paul. This is our great Apostle Paul. This is what he did in his old life. He was pursuing these Christians. Verse 12, while thus engaged as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me, and those who were journeying with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, his name was Saul at the time, he became Paul later, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? This is, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. The goads a stick they drive oxen with. 15, and I said, who art thou, O Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister. You have been appointed a minister. And a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you, delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Write this down in your Bible. What's our purpose? To open their eyes. Our purpose is to open the Gentiles' eyes, that is the unbelievers' eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. People are running around as I was with my eyes veiled. They were closed. I couldn't see the kingdom of God. But Paul said our purpose, the purpose that Jesus gave to Paul and is giving to us is our purpose is to open the eyes 
that people may see, not just the physical eye, but the eyes of their heart, that they may see and turn from the dominion of Satan to the kingdom of God. In order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Sanctification is this process we go through where we go from our old life as a filthy sinner, let's just be honest, to a new life of a renewed mind and a born-again spirit, heaven-bound. Are you excited about that? I am. And if you're not, please pray. Please pray that the Lord will change your heart, get you back on track. All hands on deck, right? Let's stand as we close. Okay, thank you. We've got a tally, 130 times that Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God. So thank you, Sue. Hallelujah. All right, what about you? You want to do business with God today? Or you want to keep doing what you've always done and gotten what you've ended up where you've always been? More? More of Jesus? Let's pray then. If anyone wants prayer, come on up in the front. And we'll have our ministry team pray over you. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give our lives to you. You've given your life to us. Lord, help us to walk. Empower us. Fill us with your spirit. We ask of you, by your grace and mercy, that we may turn the Gentiles... From the dominion of Satan to the kingdom of God. Fill us. Make me hungry. Make me bold. As never before. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if there's anyone here that has never received Christ as your Savior and you'd like to, we're going to dismiss and I'm going to ask you to come up front. And we'll have a few people that we'd like to pray for you and help you in the sinner's prayer.